Startup Nation, we tell you all the time that no one does anything great on their own. That includes starting a business or a nonprofit or even becoming a thought leader or an influencer. My point is that you need a team to do it successfully and responsibly. And that is why you should contact DR and Associates. Danielle and her team provide branding solutions along with digital and social media marketing that provide tangible results you are looking for. No matter if you are a Fortune 500 company or an author looking to make an impact, DR and Associates needs to be part of your team. They are one of the few firms whose leadership has been recognized by Google, which is proof of concept that they are very good at what they do. Contact DR and Associates today to grow your online presence. The number is 615-933-3681, or you can visit their website at drandassociates.com. Also, make sure you follow their Facebook page as well. DR and Associates, providing real clients with real results. This week on The Startup Life. You have entrepreneurs that come in and say, all right, part of our transportation uh, problem, a warehousing problem, maybe an IT problem. And it's a solution they can provide. Or if it's something with, you know, agriculture, one of the big things that we see happening uh, now with agriculture is due to low commodity prices. All right, Startup Nation, so let's take flight with Douglas Scarborough, Senior Vice President of the St. Louis Federal Reserve. The Startup Life begins now. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother... The Startup Life is brought to you by Target. No matter if it's household items to make your home more aesthetically pleasing or a 65-inch TV to complete that man cave, Target is the go-to place for high-quality products at an affordable price. Start your Target journey with a link in our show notes. Target. Expect more. Pay less. All right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're ready to receive some value today. We got a big-time guest in the building today, we have a senior vice president from the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. We have Douglas Scarborough in the building. What's going on, Mr. Douglas? Oh, doing all right. Cannot complain. How's it going, man? I can't complain. Living the dream, brother. Living the dream. Are you ready for some knowledge in the Startup Nation today? Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's do it. Now, Startup Nation, before we get started, Douglas needs to give a quick disclaimer. So, Douglas, the floor is yours, sir. Oh, thanks a ton. Yeah, I will say as a disclaimer, and this is for... Uh, all Federal Reserve employees, we give the disclaimer that the views expressed in anything I say is my own opinion. So it comes from me and it does not come from the Federal Reserve System or from the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. All righty, let's do it. Thank you so much for that as well. And Startup Nation, we are going to talk about a few things that may be political footballs, but we are not going to get into that. Uh, at all in this episode. We just want the facts in order to help you as business owners and entrepreneurs make the best decisions possible for you and your business. So Douglas, first things first, man, kind of share with us your origin story on your path and your career up until this point, if you would. Absolutely. Well, as you said, with the bank now, and if you would ask me 10 years ago, would I be in banking? I probably uh, wouldn't have necessarily thought directly, but uh, I was doing a lot of work that correlated with this. I grew up uh, live in Memphis now, grew up in North Carolina, and from an entrepreneur standpoint, uh, actually my mom, my 
grandfather and my father. Grandfather was a farmer. Father was a uh, father was a dentist. So they both, you know, ran had their own businesses. Some always looked up to, and uh, it was interested in. But then actually, when it came to me and my education, I uh, was looking at different areas. Thought about working in uh, government for a while. Thought about actually working in healthcare and medicine. So I did kind of a, a very uh, assortment of degrees that I thought and actually has led me to being able to have insight into the economy, but also insight into the number of how things work. So I actually went to Morehouse College for undergrad down in Atlanta and did a political science degree there, did an MBA, uh, then went on to do a doctorate in higher and adult education. I was thinking it's not really like structures and systems. And I like the way you describe it as an entrepreneur of, you know, going about solving problems, not necessarily right. always being an independent business owner. So I always like systems and solving problems and systems. So I thought I was going to work in higher and adult ed for, you know, for my career. And actually that's when I got the opportunity in part here at the bank because I went on to work with the organization. And I will tell you, man, that uh, networking and relationships and building relationships and getting both mentors and sponsors is key. And that's how I got to be here at the Fed. My predecessor, Martha Green Beard, we uh, met a number of years ago. It's probably 10 plus years ago now. I started, you know, talking to her over the years and then actually was giving her a call to say that I had got, I was working at the city of Memphis then. I was, got another call from uh, the city of Detroit and was potentially going to uh, think about leaving the city. And she started telling me about this opportunity here. And that almost five years ago led to me being at the Federal Reserve for St. Louis. And it's a wonderful job. All right. Thank you for the answer, Douglas. I really appreciate that. So if you would, man, talk about your role uh, at the Federal Reserve and what's your responsibilities and what are the things you do day in and day out? So my you know, position and title, my uh, position is senior vice president okay. and my title is regional executive. So we have three regional executives with the St. Louis Fed. And the way it works and, and is, is sometimes it's uh have to explain to people. So you say the Federal Reserve and people think, okay, it's this one entity. There's basically three main parts of the Federal Reserve. There's the Board of Governors, there's the FOMC, which is the Federal Open Markets Committee, and then there's regional banks. And actually with those, the way the system was set up is that the Fed is a quasi-governmental organization. Parts of the Fed are private and parts of the Fed are public. And right. the regional banks, actually majority of the employees there, myself is included, are private. So in that role, the thing I'm doing with the uh, Federal Reserve Bank and serve in the Memphis zone of the uh, Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis is exchanging economic information. So then that way it helps with setting monetary policy, but then also uh, performs an outreach, fun outreach function for the bank. So, you know, most people, when they hear the Fed, they think about interest rates. And that is one of the big roles we do is uh, set monetary policy. Our president, CEO, Jim Bullard, is on the FOMC. and right. He represents us there. And what happens is the way he gets a lot of statistical information. They have a lot of models and the like. But then also uh, some of the work I do, I have counterparts in Little Rock and Louisville. Uh, we have economists that are gathering information. We gather a lot of anecdotal information in addition to that. We actually even have a board. I have a, a board of about seven people that's here in uh, Memphis. We also have that in Little Rock and Louisville. Also, we have a, a larger board in St. Louis. They give us information. They come in and give us reports eight times a year. So we're gathering all the statistical information and putting it with the anecdotal information and then being able to set monetary policy. And then from an outreach standpoint, one of the things that we realized probably 
man, probably about 15 uh, years ago when there was a change in some of the uh, bank regulations. We didn't have as much. Uh, we had cash functions that were operating, but you wanted to keep outreach and keep contact with people. You uh, started this kind of regional executive role where it found it very important to build relationships and be able to get that information. Both we're giving information, we're also gathering information. And that's something we started, like I said, about 15 years ago, is this kind of effort called branching out that allowed us to be able to use the branches more as a forward facing piece of community, as opposed to just, uh, you know, a handle of cash and then serving that discount window function. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing all of that. And one of the things I'm I'm hearing uh, uh, you know, over and over again in the uh, in this conversation, Startup Nation, is the building of relationships. No matter if you're an entrepreneur or if you work at the Federal Reserve Bank, clearly building relationships is super important. So I wanted to kind of chime in with that really quickly. So you were actually at an engagement uh, uh, just today. Can you share with us about that a little bit? Oh, absolutely. So we do a number of things. I go out I make speeches on a regular basis. We'll bring economists in because uh, one of the things that the reasons I like the Fed is that it's a multifaceted organization. One part is our research department, and they actually operate like a research department at a university. So they have about you know 25 to 30 PhD economists there. Uh, we have some that are regional economists, and what they do is not only are they you know writing papers and they're writing things, blog posts and you know, they write things from PhD level all the way to, you know, layman's level so everybody can understand. We also do a number of talks. So today with the Memphis Regional Chamber, we had Chuck Gaskin, who's a regional economist, and he came in and he was giving insights about what, you know, nationally uh, things look like so far as the economy, looking at inflation, looking at uh, interest rates and the like, but then also specific to Memphis because it was a, a Memphis audience and looking at, you know, where some of our growth is, where we're missing out on some growth, and then even you know, kind of some things that we can do, and in some comparison between us and other cities, of uh, what our economic picture looks like, and some things that, if changed, could uh, make our economic picture a little bit better. Absolutely. Now, real quick follow-up question before we move forward, because I'm always of the belief that you no. Know, when there's opportunities, places that entrepreneurs can take advantage of. So you just mentioned that there are some places where there's some opportunity. Can you kind of share with that a little bit as far as some, from uh, a standpoint? Yeah, absolutely. So if you look at one of the things that uh, Chuck did today that I thought was really key mm-hmm. and really insightful is that he split out the, because you talk about GDP or gross domestic product. Right. Uh, and you, that's just basically, if you're looking at a basket of goods and services, and then he split it out for the particular uh, sectors and then said the ones that he gave actually the five sectors where Memphis is underperforming the national average. And that's looking at it over a period of time. And those sectors were, you know, transportation and warehousing, which obviously, you know, we do a lot of you know transportation. That's why we have, you know, all the intersecting the railroads and the uh, uh, airports and the bars traffic and the like. So that's obviously huge for us here. So, if we're underperforming in an area that means a lot for our economy, but also sectors of professional services, uh, government, agriculture, and healthcare, and all of those, and, and you know the difference from the U.S. growth rates, what we're looking at, to where Memphis is uh, performing, is slightly below. And by it being slightly below, those are all areas. Whether it's you know you have entrepreneurs that come in and say, all right. 
part of our transportation uh, problem, a warehousing problem, maybe an IT problem, and it's a solution they can provide. Or if it's something with, you know, agriculture, one of the big things that we see happening uh, now with agriculture is due to low commodity prices, you see a lot of farmers that were uh, older farmers have a good amount of equity. They're starting to get out of their farms now. So it may be something that an entrepreneur there coming in and like, for instance, we had a uh, a newer uh, company for the Memphis area, Indigo Ag, that's coming in and they've been able to uh, locate here and do a lot of work. And then healthcare. Obviously, there's a lot of you know growth in the healthcare sector. In 2018, it actually became the industry that uh, has the most employees in the United States are in healthcare. So now, you know, most areas I go to and I look at and see who's the top employers. Healthcare is going to be one of those, and that's you know due in part to us having a uh, aging population. That's uh, as you know we're continuing to get people are continuing to live longer and longer, and going to need that healthcare more and more. So if they entrepreneurs are thinking about like you know where's the areas that I can start to research and build a biz- business that can have a potential for growth, I would say in one of those five areas. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And so I hope you caught that startup mission. There are some definitely some areas that you can probably key in on if you're looking for a path to entrepreneurship or if you're already in those spaces, maybe one you can uh, uh, have some uh, some uh, confidence that you may be in the right space of what you're doing. So, Douglas, I appreciate all of that for sure. And they can go on and make it easy for them on stlouisfed.org. Go to our research page and then Chuck Gaskin and all and actually, the, the presentation he gave today is on the website, and they can click on that and find the information directly there and see that and more information. Absolutely. And Startup Nation, you can find that that link to that website there in the show notes for easy access. Just click on it and go right to it. So I appreciate you sharing that, Douglas. So I, I want to ask you this, man, because la- late last year, we started hearing this phrase called inverted yield curve. Now, granted, most of us are not economists, so we don't know what that means. But we do know what it, what people were saying that it kind of yields, which is a recession. And that's a word that we're all very familiar with. So if you would, in, in very lamest terms, what is the inverted yield curve? What what does it indicate? Just kind of break that down for us, if you would. Yeah, it's funny because absolutely most of the time you say inverted yield curve. And all people know is get nervous, get, you know, absolutely get right. It has been it is not. uh I would say, you know, correlation, definitely not causation. That's, you know, you'll see that a lot when you're looking at statistics and uh, things in economics, okay. where basically what it is you have treasuries that are being sold. And the most popular one you're going to see is the 10 year price for treasuries being sold to your price. And then you're going to look at uh, the price or the, the interest rate that they're being sold for. When you have a treasury that's being sold at 10 years, you want somebody, basically somebody's holding your money for that period of time. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's holding your money for a longer period of time, you want that treasury. You, I want to get paid more. So if I'm, you know, if I'm loaning you uh, uh, some money right. and uh, I'm doing it for 10 years, I want to get, you know, a good interest rate because a lot can happen at time. Whereas if I'm looking at two months, it's less. What happens is if you see an inversion, if you start to see that two year rate, go over that uh that 10 year and that inversion happens then gotcha. that has in the majority of the most recent recessions you'll right. see that inversion not immediately after and then sometimes afterwards you'll see the uh you see a potential recession happen it's not absolute so it's not you know absolute so just because we saw it actually last year and inverted in the 10 year 2 year inverted in August 2019 right 
but just because it happened doesn't mean that, okay, boom, you know, a year from now, you're going to have a recession. Understood. Understood. Thank you for sharing that. And when we started uh, getting emails and Facebook messages about that around that time, that's when I knew we needed to get an expert to kind of talk about that. So that's why I am so grateful for uh, your time in the Fed res- in the Fed Reserve uh, there for allowing us to speak with you on this matter. So I definitely appreciate uh, all of that, Douglas, for sure. I want to ask. Oh, a no quick, problem. I want to ask a quick follow up if I can. So because, you know, we know about. The, the Great Recession of, you know, 2007, 2008, 2009. And we've had, you know, some of them, you know, in, in previous years, you know, early 2001, early 90s, things of that nature. What are some of those things as an entrepreneur, as a business person, as a, a stay-at-home parent or whatever the case may be, what are some of those things that we learn from uh, those re- those periods that we can take into the future to kind of, uh, you know, the whole no better, you do better type of notion. What are some of those things we learn from those recessions in your opinion? I think you can learn, and it's, this is part of the Fed wanting to be more transparent. I hear that. That's what we're looking to do is that what happens with a recession is the period right before recession. So you look at the chart, you're going to see, you know, a, a ramp up in the economy and economic factors like GDP. And that's because the economy basically has gotten a little too hot. And then you start to see uh, potential failure. So in the last the Great Recession, obviously, you know, so many people know now about mortgage-backed securities and, and that being one of the causes of the, uh, the recession, not necessarily saying it's a 100% cause. Sure. But for, as individuals, the thing that we can look at is you start seeing like, you know, just one of the economic terms say irrational exuberance where it's not necessarily a tie to a particular thing but you just see people uh you know being extremely exuberant about a, a particular like for instance i know i think about uh, and i know you did some segments on as well think about with bitcoin where right. it wasn't necessarily tied to bitcoin being very different from blockchain but bitcoin right. wasn't necessarily tied to a particular thing that was moving it wasn't like okay you know, China is producing, you know, some new product. So that's pushing the market or somebody has, you know, say we have uh, tariffs now and that's restricting trade with a certain company. So that makes the cost of a good here in the U.S. more. It wasn't necessarily tied to something except for people's feelings about it. So it's that ex- irrational exuberance that happens, makes the market really hot. And then that is what you usually see before you have a recession. I hear that. I hear that. Thank you for sharing all of that. I want to switch gears, you know, just a little bit because I, I want to ask you this because, you know, here in the United States, we, we're having a, a bit of a demographic shift uh, in you will for starters. And it depends on who you talk to, wherever the case may be, that the people that, you know, that are the majority uh, are, are may not be the majority because we have, you know, a, a di- uh, influx of immigrants moving to the country and stuff like that. Uh, they may not be the majority anymore by 2040, 2050, according to the U.S. Census Bureau and things of that nature. Is there any economic indicators that may change with those demographic changes, in your opinion? Obviously so. Mm-hmm. talked about uh, health care before. So, right. you know, basically the, the simplest way I've heard it, is the graying and browning of America. So America, as our population has started in the last couple of years, I saw some change in that, but the trend over time is definitely that our population, uh, I think they said by 2040, the uh, number of people that are over 65 is going to increase by like seven percentage points or something. Mm -hmm. But then also you're having 
a much more diverse America, and that's racially diverse right. America. Right. We had a, a, a business demographer economist come, come in from UNC Chapel Hill. One of the things that he talked about was the replacement rate. And it's, you know, it's, it's easy enough to look at where you can see, I think it was um, 2.0 is the number, but you look at the amount to people to uh, burst and you can look at certain races and you see if you're not over that 2.0 ratio. And I think that in the, in the model that he showed, Latino women were the only one that were over, over it. You're not producing a future generation fast enough to replace the past generation. Mm. So then that way you're going to see a change in demographics. Gotcha. And that's just, you know, it's just basic numbers. It, it, right. it, that one, it is right. what it is. Right. Exactly. Right. And, and, and I know once again, some of these can be seen as political topics, but that's not what we're here for today. We just want the basic numbers, just like Douglas said. So I appreciate you sharing that as well. But on top of demographics, Douglas, we're also seeing how automation is kind of playing a role into our economy and, and things of that nature. What is kind of the, you know, your perspective on the way things are going as far as like jobs being automated, different functions of our society being automated, kind of give your kind of commentary on that a little bit as well, if you would. That's another one that's, I, I feel like is almost, uh, you know, trigger, I wouldn't say knee jerk reaction, but right. it is one that causes concern with people because your concern is, Hey, automation's coming. Is it going to get rid of my job? We actually had a paper that was done. There's another one that's available and we can you know, give the link in, in the notes that was done last year by one of our, our economists, uh, Su King Hong. And Su King was looking at the eighth district. So we are, you know, Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis, but we cover a seven state area. He was looking at this seven state area that we cover and actually was able to uh, you know, put in a chart where it shows here are the jobs that are likely to be automated and here's their presence in mm-hmm. certain communities. Gotcha. So as you look at, you know, a majority of jobs where you have a repetitive function that can be like, for instance, the one uh, one I constantly uh, talked about. And, you know, you think about shipping or you think about tran- you know, transportation or something, but one that's even more uh, office function is, you know, document scanning. So in large law firms or you're dealing in a case, you want to be able to scan a document and find information. Well, a lot of that has been able to be, you know, taken over by automation because I can take a box of documents, be able to put them into a scanner now, search for the terms that I'm looking for, and I don't need a paralegal or a person in order to do that. So that's the kind of job that, but it's rote. It's the same kind of thing again and again. Now, the kind of job that won't be automated and one that we've actually seen a lot of growth in and we continue to see a lot of growth in in Memphis is professional business services. Mm-hmm. And that's saying, you know, you take the same business, you take the same law firm and not a person that's just scanning a document trying to find, you know, terms or, or something, but it's, it's somebody that's putting a case together or somebody that's creating a legal strategy. That's right. something that's unique to that individual thing. And that unique to that individual person or to that individual case is going to be different each time. That's something that's hard. I'm not saying it can't be automated. It's hard to automate that. Absolutely. And that's going to be, you know, the skill sets of that person is why it's extremely important for, you know, all workers, especially entrepreneurs to constantly, you know, constantly getting new skill sets and constantly learning because the thing you want to be able to do is yes, in the face of automation, you want to be able to provide a valuable product that a lot of times, uh, especially I know I tell students when I'm 
you know, have interns coming in, but also students and they're talking about majors and careers. And I know I've, you know, done it where I studied different areas from healthcare to business to education and political science is you want to be able to put different worlds together and put different things together in a manner that others hadn't necessarily seen and then give that value to a person because that's going to make you continuously marketable. And what you're going to be able to do is see connections between things that a lot of other people don't see. And then you don't have to worry as much about uh, getting automated out of a job. I hear that. Thank you for sharing all of that. All right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're getting great value from today's content, but we got to pay a few bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson. This is the Startup Life Podcast, and it is powered by the Binge Podcast Network. Startup Nation, Kenda and I, along with our daughter Zoe, have this thing called Target Fridays if she's had a good week at school. We stop by the snack bar for popcorn and mermaid ices. Startup Nation, don't judge me until you've tried them. Those ices are really good. Anyways, we then head over to the toy section so my daughter can add to her LOL doll collection. My daughter is a pretty good student, so you can imagine that we have spent a small fortune on LOL dolls. However, I can take solace in the fact that Target makes it affordable to buy those LOL dolls and anything else we need as a family. That's because Target believes you deserve quality at an affordable price. And when you're entrepreneurs like us, that's extremely important. But great deals and quality products are not exclusive to the brick and mortar version of the retail store. Target.com has even more exclusive deals that you can appreciate. And when you spend over $35, shipping is free. And I know we all love free shipping. We love to purchase the amazing kids clothes for Zoe from the exclusive to Target Cat and Jack line when we go online. So the next time you listen to the show and you are reminded that you need something for your home, Start your target journey with the link in our show notes where you can expect more and pay less. Startup Nation, once again, we're talking to Douglas Scarborough, uh, Senior Vice President at the Federal Reserve Bank uh, here in Memphis, Tennessee. I just want to say once again, thank you for your time, brother. You're really giving some some valuable information that our audience can definitely uh, use for sure. Uh, I want to ask for sure. Uh, I want to ask this really quickly because, you know, we are in an election cycle and it's going to be a hot topic. And I just want to know what those indicators are. One of those things is the minimum wage, $15 an hour. No, should it be, should it not be this and that and the other? And I'm not really looking for, like I said, an opinion as far as where there should be or where there should be not or wherever the case may be. But I just want to know what are some of those indicators that goes into making that decision? Not only should it be or, uh, raised, but what that amount should be? Well, a lot of it is looking at what the level uh, or uh, that median wage income is for your community. And mm-hmm. it's going to be different from different areas. St. Louis right. is probably going to look different than Memphis. And, you know, especially in your larger areas where you have a different population, say, you know, New York uh, or Atlanta is going to look different than it's going to look for Memphis. But the thought pattern and what goes into that is that usually because, you know, in any city, any, anywhere, there's a lot more private firms than, you know, even if it's a publicly traded firm than it is a government firm. So, it, you know, you can have some where they try to come in and legislate and say, all right, we need to increase this minimum wage. But 
the thing that goes into it for a business, and you know, this is interesting because you ask it, you know, right after this automation question is, all right, yeah, I can go and increase, say the you know, current median income, uh, medium wage level is eleven dollars, and right. you want to, and I, you know, I know about the push for fifteen. You want to increase it to fifteen. Whereas independent businesses are going to look at that and say, all right, say that is legislated in. If they're going to do business with the city, they have to get that up to uh, $15 an hour. They'll do that. But then they have to look at where in their business, if they're not producing additional income, where that's going to come from. And a lot of times that comes from workers. The kind of best example um, you I've heard people talk about and seen uh, directly, especially I've seen it prosper. It's funny, actually, more in probably rural areas than I have in uh, urban areas. Is you go into a McDonald's, right. and I see, and it's you know when I'm traveling around the district, you see some McDonald's now that have the automated tellers, right. and that they have instead of having a person to go to. Well, that is, you look at it and you say, all right, that person is probably uh, making minimal wage. That is the red, you know, working the the cashier there. Right. If you can go and automate that and have that uh, just be at a, a terminal. That's something I'm going to think about because almost majority of businesses about, you know, a large percent, 70 to, you know, say 60 to 70 percent of their cost is going to be in wages and in personnel. Right. So if that increases, you're you're going to have to figure out something. Either you're going to have to make more money or you're going to have to have less people or, you know, you have to balance that equation some kind of way. Got you. Got you. Thank you for sharing all of that for sure. And Startup Nation, I hope you're getting, you know, a lot of value. Like I said, we wanted to kind of uh, take away the, you know, the, the commentary, take away any political footballs or whatever the case may be, and just present you with hard facts when it comes to the economics of the country, uh, maybe here in Memphis uh, as well, but more so when it comes to your business and have you na- as you navigate forward on your path to entrepreneurship. Douglas, if you would, man, just kind of share with you, you know, you talked about the Fed wanting to be transparent about being out, you know, using that, being, uh, uh, doing outreach and uh, providing resources. Kind of talk about just a few more of those resources that the Fed offer uh, to take for entrepreneurs to take advantage of or just people who just want to stay up to date on economic trends at a micro level. Oh, absolutely. One that I, you know, always talk about, I try to always talk about in my speeches and we uh, actually house in the St. Louis Fed, but it's actually known, uh, you know, not only nationally, but worldwide, is FRED, it's our Federal Reserve Economic Data. And that is an amalgamation. I know you talk about like, you know, indicators and things that, you know, people look at uh, and that they want to monitor on a regular basis. Right. FRED is uh, on, you know, it's absolutely free, number one. But uh, it's on, you know, you can go to it on a webpage, you can go to it on your phone, you can download the app. And it's all kind of data and statistics and information. There's over, uh, I know now over 80, 85 sources, over 500 volumes of information. A source would be like the Bureau of Labor Statistics or the FBI. And they are providing government information and data. We go get that information, but there's also private data and information on there as well. And all you literally, if you want to see uh, information about Memphis unemployment, you can you know, download the, the, the FRED app. You can go onto our webpage, you know, type in, uh, you know, go to the uh, the Fred on the on the computer. You type in Memphis unemployment. Not only is it going to give you that way, that number, it's going to give you charts. It's going to allow you to download those charts really easy. But also, it's going to give you a number of related uh, related charts and graphs as well. So it may give you, you know, unemployment for counties that surround Memphis. It may give you some other 
numbers as well. That's one really good source. Also, I would say, you know, a lot of the information on our website, because we we legitimately do information and we try to sub we subject it out for different audiences. Like we have a journal that is for people like, you know, PhD economists that are looking for economic theory. We have information that's for teachers. Literally, it's lesson plans. So if teachers want lessons plans about financial literacy, they can go to our econ lowdown and uh, get great information there. I mean, we have uh, one of my uh, counterparts here in Memphis, uh, Jeanette Bennett. She actually goes out to you know schools on a regular basis, and she uh, brings a number of educators here. We educate the, the teachers, and then they go out and they educate the students on you know how to save, what it looks like for you know, student loans. We're going to do a session actually in March, March 27th, uh, here at the bank where we're focused on, you know, student loans, what it looks like for individual, what it looks like nationally, but also what's the value of college. College has gotten a lot more expensive than it was, you know, I would say even 20 years ago. And what's the value of college? We're going to have economists come in and talk about that. We have uh, another as well as if you go out on the event section of our page here in the Memphis area, but also in St. Louis. And, you know, if, People anywhere across the zone, if they want to attend, they can go to, you know, events like one we're going to have this Friday is a breakfast with the Fed that we do in conjunction with our board meetings when we have an economist come in. And we have somebody that's going to call, come in, talk about the U.S. economy and uh, and in conjunction with trade balances. So we do, you know, a number of things like that. Uh, one uh, last I mentioned is uh, sure. on a community development standpoint, this one has been really popular. And it's called Investment Connection. Okay. And it's done through our community development arm, which a lot of people uh, or some people don't know that the Fed has. We're specifically looking at uh, community reinvestment acts or CRA eligible entities. And the CRA is basically if you have a bank that's operating in your community, if they want to get CRA credit and they're investing in, in the areas that they work in. And this works really well for, you know, especially a lot of nonprofits. They're, are looking to get connected with entities that are looking to fund them. And what happens is we actually do an investment connection a couple of times a year or several times a year throughout the zone, a couple of times here in the Memphis area mm-hmm. where we'll match and we'll have nonprofits pitching to banks, pitching to investors that are looking for CRA credit and basically giving them products, uh, giving them projects, excuse me, that they can then go and invest in and be able to get that CRA credit. It does, you know, a couple things really well where we act as the, and we're just a convener for it. it allows that nonprofit to be able to get funding for their critical needs but also it allows the banks to be able to get uh, that CRA credit that allows them to be able to go and expand as they uh, need to expand to be able to provide more and better services for the community. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. So Douglas, I want to ask you this, man. I, I, I saw a picture of, you know, of your wife and kids and stuff like that. If I would ask your adorable kids, what dad does for a living in their words, what would they tell me? <laughs> Especially my youngest, it was the funniest thing in the world. This is probably two or three years ago. Okay. He said, uh, like that, he said, I want to, I want to do money. So, you, <laughs> so he would say, daddy does money. Gotcha. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so you, know, you you talked about your amazing career and built, you know, and one of the things you have touted uh, uh, upon building your amazing career is building relationships. What, I just want to ask you, man, what's your what's your superpower in your opinion? I, it's funny. It, 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 it's, it's, it's funny. It almost starts out as the thing that, you know, 
and I almost I feel like along the way you forget it and you remember it again. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, first, you know, with a relationship, you really want to to be something that's mutually beneficial. Like anytime that and I hear people and there's nothing wrong with networking, but I think people think of like, you know, uh, networking where you're just trying to go out and, you know, connect with a lot of people. But you got to be providing a benefit to them. You got to yeah, you have to be getting something out of it for it to make sense. And they have to be getting something out of it. Right. And the uh, second part of it, like I said, you kind of start out with I almost feel like, you know, on the playground when you're a kid and it goes back to it now. Is can I just get along with you? Do I want you? Like, you know, I think about the thing where they're, you know, kids are picking people for, uh, picking each other for a team. Do I think somebody's going to be, you know, a value to me? And can I, do I want to work with them? Because sometimes people may be, you know, well connected. They may be, you know, really smart, but you just can't stand to be around them. And the thing I've realized from relationship building, it doesn't work. In the long run, it doesn't work. You need to want to, you know, interact with this person. You need to want to, uh, you know, work with them and, and build something with them. And this is a person that, you know, grates your nerves. It's not going to work. I hear that. I hear that. Thank you for sharing all of that. And before I ask the last question, Douglas, I just want to say thank you so much uh, for your time. Just want to thank uh, your representatives there at, at the Federal Reserve for allowing us to speak with you uh, as well. You gave us amazing, amazing value. You cut through a lot of uh, you know, uh, dead air and nonsense. And you really just, you know, gave us some facts about uh, economic indicators, you know, what to look for, things of that nature. And also you gave us some great resources as well as entrepreneurs that we can go and look to make sure we have all the information we can to do our due diligence and make the correct decision for our business uh, and our career. So I appreciate all of that. And Startup Nation, uh, though all those links for everything that Douglas talked about is there in the show notes for easy access as well. So Douglas, I'm actually going to turn the microphone over to you, man, because like I said, there's an entrepreneur or somebody who's trying to scale their career or entrepreneur that's trying to move forward in their business and they're feeling a little stuck or they're afraid to get started, man. Give them some words of encouragement. Tell them to keep moving forward if you would. Well, this one, I'll actually uh, uh, get some points from a, a board I'm on with Starco and uh, Andre folks and Eric Matthews over there. I've been uh, working with Eric. Man, amazing people at Starco. Amazing people. I've seen Eric actually you know, build from the 48 hour uh, launch up to the point that it is today. And I'll say it's, it's mainly it's their line. I know it's even in uh, Eric's email. It's never stopped. It's this understanding that, you know, there was some recent data that showed that most successful entrepreneurs, I think they were saying well, it was mid 40s. It's like 43 to 45. So, you know, by no means does that mean that you can't be successful earlier or can't be successful later. But I think what it shows is that you know, people have ideas, they have thought patterns about wanting to do something, but none of it really, you know, it, you get better the more you do it, but none of it really matters if you don't get started. You got to press that idea. You got to, you know, kind of press past that point of being scared about what potentially can happen and probably be more scared about if you didn't do this thing, you wouldn't, it won't be in the world. It won't be done. So, my, you know, statement to the entrepreneur is, you know, start and never stop. I hear that. I hear that. Thank you so much. And that's going to wrap up this session of the Startup Life. Did you enjoy being on the show, my man? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks a ton. No worries. No worries. All right, Startup Nation. If you want to let us know what you think about our show, have an idea for a show topic, or would like to advertise on our show, send us a message on the Startup Life Podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a great way for us to engage with you, Startup Nation, and really grow our community. The link is there in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, 
Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or even on your Facebook timeline or any other platform you like to get your podcast. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you find our content valuable, please give us a five-star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. You can also listen to the show on the Startup Life Podcast new website. There you will find the all-new Startup Blog where I write on many topics that are interesting and helpful to you on your path to entrepreneurship. And hey, if you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life. Yeah.